So he said, let's try, let's see if he'll fly. So he, he raised the eagle up and he said, oh, great and majestic bird, take your wings and take the air. And the eagle simply looked at him, flapped his wings, and sat back down. He came back again the next day, and he said, I, I think we need to try again. And, and the farmer knew that he didn't want to lose, lose his chicken. And he, he raised him up and he said, oh, great and majestic bird, take your wings and fly. And finally, what they would call a naturalist said, I need to do something. This time, I want to do something a little different. He said, sure. He took the bird, and he took the farmer. And he took him so he couldn't see any of the fields. He took him so he couldn't see any of the farm. He took him far, far away from the environment in which he was used to. And when he began to look up, then he looked up and turned the bird's eyes toward heaven and said, this is where an eagle should be. Take your wings, O majestic bird, and take flight. And when the eagle wasn't entrapped by all the surroundings of what told him what he should be, and he couldn't see chicken coops and chicken pens, he began to believe in himself, maybe I'm not a chicken, after all, and don't you know the eagle took his wings and he took flight and he took the sky. Why is that important to us in modern day Christendom? It's because many of us in Christianity have been told that now being a Christian is a negative thing and we've been taught not to fly anymore. We've taught to act like a chicken. We're taught not to stand on the word of God. We're taught to be quiet about our faith. We're taught not to be apologetic and defend our faith. We're, we're taught by a farmer called the culture and the culture is telling us that don't you know that you're a chicken? No, why, why are you saying live holy and live right? Why are you saying have a Accountability. Why are you saying that Jesus loves you? Don't you know that you're a chicken just like everybody else? You're just a regular old person just like everybody else. And for years, the church said, you know what? You're right. And they softened their stance. And we softened the word of God. But thanks be unto God that God saw this coming. And he took us out of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And he gave us a mountain to stand on called the word of God. And if we'll just read this mountain, this mountain looks a lot different than the trappings of the world. And when we begin to see who we really are in this word, we can take our wings and fly. And that's what Paul is trying to do in the book of Ephesians. He's trying to talk to a church in Ephesus who's filled by, by Artemis and temple worship, who's filled by idols being made, who's filled by all sorts of wickedness and divination and sorcery, and he's trying to let them fly. And he starts in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 saying Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we talked about that, that God has given us some eternal heavenly blessings in Christ that cannot be taken away. And what I want to do is talk to you today about who you are because many times I am convinced that belief determines behavior. There are many people who never accomplish what they can accomplish because they had a parent that said, you'll never be nothing. You'll be just like your dad. You'll be just like your mama. You're a failure. You're this and you're that. And they allowed them to tell them what they were instead of allowing the I am to tell them what they are. And so it's important for us to know that. So when he begins to tell them that, he says that God has already blessed you uh, in, in heavenly realms, that you have spiritual blessings already in love he predestined. So the first thing I want us to know, and I'm going to let you read these off of the screen. If you could, media team, go to that first I am. I want you guys to say that with me. 
uh, when it pops on the screen. Everybody, let's read that. I have chosen. I don't know about you, but I was short when I was young, and I'm short when I'm old, and I was never the first person to be chosen when they started choosing people for the basketball team. I just wasn't there. You might pick me, you might choose me to play football, but nine times out of ten, if you have a little short kid, he's going to be the last person to get picked on the basketball court unless he's really, really good. And, and so many of us feel like that in life. We've had rejection happen to us in life, and we've had things happen to us in life that made us feel like we can't recover from the mistakes of our life and the mistakes of our past and the things that we've done and the enemy will make you feel like you're isolated and that you're alone and that you have no hope but that's something that you need to declare when you wake up in the morning say I am chosen well how do you prove that let read that to me I'll read it to you it's in Ephesians chapter 4 it says this uh, verse 4 chapter 1 for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now he's talking to the church at large, but we know from sneaking in on the gospel that Jesus said that you are the church, you are the ecclesia, the called out ones, and upon his rock, this, that rock, the confession of Peter, that he will build his church, which means that if the church is chosen and you are part of the church, you are what? Chosen. He took the time to pick you. He says this, he says uh, to be blameless in his sight. In other words, that's important for us to know why. Because we're always blaming ourselves for our past mistakes. We're always blaming ourselves for our failures. We're always blaming ourselves for our shortcomings. But I've got to tell you something. Did you not know that God knew what you would do and who you would be before he chose you to do what you would do? That Jeremiah, before you were even born, I, I, I chose you to be a prophet. Mess ups and all. David, I knew how you would end up, and I knew your shortcomings, I knew your hang-ups, but at the same time, I chose you for my purpose, and you can find value in that, and that's encouraging, because that choosing obviously had to do nothing with what? You. Which means that regardless of what you have done or where you have been, you are still valuable to God. I used to do this illustration a long time ago where I'd take a, a dollar bill and I would hold it up and I'd say, who wants this dollar bill or this 20 or $100 bill? And everybody would raise their hand and I would take it and I'd crumple it up and I'd say, who wants this dollar bill now? And people would still raise their hands and then I'd take it and I'd say, my shoe's been on the floor outside. And then I'd touch everything out there and I'd step and I'd stomp on that $100 bill or whatever bill it would be and I'd say, who still wants that money? And everybody still will raise their hand and I'd say, you know why you still want that money? Because irregardless of where it's been and what it's been through, it still hasn't lost its value. You ought to thank God that despite of all you've been through, you still haven't lost your value to God. He still loved you for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is a one-sided thing. How do you know that? Most times when you do covenants in the Old Testament, covenants were done with animals, and they would split animals in half. And when they would split those animals in half, the two would join hands, two parties would join hands, and they would walk between the two animals. And when they walk between those two animals, they would give an oath, and they'd say, if I don't keep what I promised, may it be done to me what was done to this animal. In other words, that that's my covenant, and that's my bond. They were swearing by whatever... God they had or whatever they had, but you'll look in the book of Genesis, 
that when God begins to come in the form of a pot and, and fire, he comes to Abraham. Abraham never walks between anything. God makes the covenant, and he makes it only with himself. He doesn't swear by anybody. He doesn't need anybody. You know why? Because he knows that we can't keep it. And that takes a lot of pressure off of you. You can't keep the law. You can try your best to live holy, and that's a good thing. We try to live holy. But isn't it wonderful and burden-free to know that God loved you before you ever got yourself together? How can you prove that? Brother Barry, it's easy. He says, Romans 5 and 8, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were what? Yes, sinners. He died for us. Yes, so he chose us before we got our act together. And sometimes we'll look down on other people because we don't think they have that proverbial act together, which means that if we're looking down on them, we really don't have our act together like we think. We need to have it that we're in worse shape than they are. But isn't it wonderful to know that God chose you? That you are chosen and you're loved when you feel down and you feel like the whole world is against you and you feel like you've messed up and you can't accomplish anything in life. When you feel like the world is not going the way you need it to go or the way you think it would go or your political party isn't in office or, or, or your favorite person isn't in charge or whatever's going on and you just feel out of control in the world. This did not catch God by surprise, and it doesn't matter who's in the White House as long as you know who's on the throne. And if you know who's on the throne, you know that he chose you, and he's going to take care of you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. Somebody say, I am chosen. I am chosen. We're also going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, uh, Ephesians 1, uh, starting at 11 and 12, and it says, in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Now, if you read this, this is the equivalent when Paul starts as the equivalent of what we would call in English a run-on sentence. You really have to put punctuation and stop in different places because Paul is so smart that he keeps going on with his thought and on with his thought. And he's, he's five thoughts now and you're still stuck on the first thought of what he really said in the meat that he says. But that's important. He says this. He says, in him we were chosen. In who? We were chosen in Christ. Through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, his blood has caused us to be chosen, and it was predestined. How do we know that? Keep that scripture up for me. He said, it was because, behold, the lamb slain before the what? Foundation of the world. He already had a plan in place. Before we ever left him, he already had us a way back. To him. Isn't that amazing? According to the plan. In other words, this isn't haphazard. He planned this out according to the plan of him who works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of his will. You know what that means? That God is excited to love you. God is excited to save you. Some people would give us the viewpoint of a big angry God that's mad all the time. God is not monolithic, just like we're not angry all the time. He's not angry all the time. As a matter of fact, God can get angry, and we have seen him get angry in the scripture, but most times God is love. But you know how I know? Because the Bible says this. He says, in your presence there is what? Fullness of what? Joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures what? evermore. That God is a pleasurable God. He is a loving and a kind Father. And when he hates things, he generally hates them not because he hates us, but because they will separate us 
from him. So it says that he chose you, uh, he chose you, uh, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You need to know today that you are chosen. And I, got, I have to ask you this question, who do you think you are? I preached a sermon on forgiveness one time and somebody walked up to me and they, they asked me a question. They said, you talked about how you need to forgive people. But I have a question, and I said, what's the question? They said, what do you do if the person you can't forgive is yourself? And immediately I began to pray because I didn't know the answer right off. And I said, Holy Spirit, you said you would give me something when the time was safe, and I don't have but a millisecond. And when I opened my mouth, I said, if God is forgiving you, who do you think you are to not forgive yourself? If God says I've forgiven you, are you more than God? Amen. Amen. So a lot of us could go around with doubt and fear and condemnation and regret for choices that we made in life. And God already moved on. He's decided that he loves you and he's always loved you. And all you have to do is just receive his what? Love. Go to the next I am. Everybody said that with me. I am redeemed. Oh, hallelujah. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, that is a wonderful thing to know that you are what? Redeemed. What does redemption mean? I wrote this down. Redemption is the act or the action of being saved, regaining something in exchange for payment or debt. According to the riches of Christ's ground, boundless grace, that you are redeemed. I don't really know if you know what that means. That means that you were owned by somebody else, and all of a sudden, you were purchased and bought back. To redeem something means to buy it back, which means that we often say we're all children of God, but the sad truth is, no, we're not all children of God. We're all children of creation, and God created all of us. But sometimes you'll see, just like he told the Pharisees, you are not the children of Abraham. You will be your father of what? Devil. In sin, we were born in evil, where we can see. But guess what? If God will adopt us, we then become redeemed, and he buys us back. What was the only thing that could buy us back? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why Christians get excited when we talk about the blood. That's why Christians get excited when we talk about the cross. Because we realize that that is the purchasing price that saves us from disaster. Have you ever been in a real bad accident? Or a real bad situation that could have took you out or could have destroyed you? And all of a sudden something came and snatched you out of it and you were really grateful for it? Or, or something that you knew you should have got but you didn't get and you were grateful for it? Think about what you deserve, what we really deserve as far as death, hell, and the grave. And because of God's rich mercy and his love, he has snatched us and paid for our sin before we even did the sin. While we were what? Yet sinners, he died. For us. He hung his head and the locks of his shoulders with us on his mind. That is important for us to know as believers and to be encouraged by that. We were trapped in a sin nature and God has saved us. I'm going to go over to Romans chapter 8 verse 7 uh, because I've written that down and I want to read that. You don't have to go there uh, if you don't want to. Uh, media team, but you can you can go there with me if you want. I'll only be there for a second. But I wanted to read this scripture because I think it's pertinent to what we're saying. It says the sinful mind is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. In other words, when you were born, your sinful nature is hostile to God. You live in a flesh or a sinful nature that is hostile to God, and it cannot please God. Well, how do I please God? I have to have faith in Christ. I have to trust in the Holy Spirit, and I have to live by faith. The Bible says without what? Faith, it is impossible to please God. So I've got to learn that the just, if I'm justified, uh, not anything that that I've done justified me just as if that's a good acronym. I had never sinned. I'm justified by faith through the blood of Jesus so that I can be governed by the Spirit. If you go back and read the rest of Romans 8, it says that the flesh goes after things that are the flesh and the Spirit walks after things that are the Spirit. And what we want to do is to let the Spirit begin to have control over our deeds and over our actions. Does that mean we'll get every step right? No, it doesn't. But as much as we can, that we yield to the Spirit of God and allow Him to control our thoughts, our deeds, and our actions. It's important that you know that I am forgiven. Uh, that's our next one. Go to this and everybody say, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Now, I am forgiven. That is amazing that you have pardons and you have absolution. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's so impactful. There was a young woman that was a cook for Napoleon Bonaparte, one of the most formidable and ferocious generals ever to walk the earth. And he had somebody who had deserted. And usually the penalty for that is death, and they let him make it one time, and he went and he deserted again, and so Napoleon had them brought to them, and they were going to kill him, and his cook, it just happened to be her son. And she pleaded with him, and she said, please don't kill my son, and he said, but he deserves to die. And she said, please don't kill my son. Show him mercy. And he looked her squarely in the eyes and said, he's a deserter and a traitor. He doesn't deserve mercy. And she looked at him and said, oh, great Napoleon, if he deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Mm -hmm. And he was so astounded by her answer that he set him free. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy, but God has pardoned you and given you absolution. So through Christ Jesus' blood, you've been purchased back from the enemy. We were born in sin and in iniquity were we shaping. And we were on our way with a one-way ticket someplace that we wouldn't want to be. But thanks be to God, he has chosen us. Do you realize that there are many people that will not make it to heaven? I know that's not a, a thing that we like to say. We, wanna, we don't want to say things that may raise the ire of people on the outside. But our word teaches us that not everybody will make it to heaven, which makes it precious to the thought that God thought of me enough to let me go. He thought of me enough to draw me and allow me to receive him because I couldn't come to him unless he allowed me to come to him. You are no longer of the enemy, but uh, you are no longer an enemy of God. That's why we read Romans 8 and 7, because you know that when you're born in your flesh, it is what? Hostile toward God. There is not one righteous, no, not one. No man seeks God, no, not one. No man seeks God, but it's only by his mercy that he's allowed his spirit to draw you, and you have made a choice uh, to, to follow Christ. That's because he has chosen you. We didn't choose him, he chose us. He said to the tribe of Israel, he didn't say you chose me. He told them, as a matter of fact, I chose you. And I didn't choose you because you were good. I chose you because you weren't. I chose you because you were the weakest of all the tribes. 
I chose you because you couldn't get any glory out of anything. So if anything happened from this little small tribe, it will be because God got the glory. That should encourage us and many people across Christendom right now in churches that aren't large churches and churches that are opening back up and all their members aren't coming back. Well, they should know that God doesn't count numbers. God makes numbers count. And you could be significant however you are if you are willing to let God use you. Hmm. We, the church, have a corporate identity in Christ. I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 9. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 through 11, it reads this. It says, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were enemies, God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? In other words, if he saved us from wrath and death through his death, now that he lives again, how much more of the treasures that are waiting for us on the other side because of what he has done for us? I don't know about you, but that is encouraging to me. Somebody said just for me. It's a personal thing to know that Christ has died for you. Not only that you are chosen, not only that you are redeemed, but also go to the next uh, I am for me. I want them to say this because it's important for us to know. Everybody say that. I belong. Starting in verse 9 of Ephesians 1, it says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he forward in Christ to be put into effect when times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. At the time that Paul is talking to the church, the church has a Jewish faction, the church has a Christian faction or a Gentile faction, and Christ came first to the house of what? Israel. He came to Israel first. So what we see in Christ's mercy and his love is that he already had a plan that we could be Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise, which means that he's putting us all together under one umbrella so the Jew can't look down at the Gentile and the Gentile can't look down at the Jew. Aren't you glad that God didn't leave you out of his plan? He could have just chose Jewish and said, that's enough for me. I've had enough headaches. If you read the book of Exodus with that, I think I'll do like that, and I'll just do the rest of them like I did Noah. But he predestined, and he chose us and found a way that we could be grafted into his love. See, God's whole purpose is the glorification of his kingdom, and he is love, and love is the love until you give it in a way. He needs somebody, he wants somebody to be able to receive his love, and it's time for the church to give that message of a loving God, as we saw in Romans just then when we read that through his death, we are saved from his wrath. God has a wrath, but it's not because he's angry, it's because he's holy, and he's just, and and a just God has to have a response to wickedness and a response to evil because he's just. And a just God cannot let sin go unpunished. So rather than let the wrath we deserve destroy us, he took it upon his 
body and he said by his stripes that we were all healed. He was bruised for our transgressions he, and he was bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. In other words, he, he took the, the, the disruption of our peace. We can have peace because his peace was disrupted because he came off of his throne and glory and as John said, he became flesh and was wrapped, uh, wrapped up in, in fleshly body and he took the suffering that we did that I belong. That's one of the major needs of anybody. Why do you think social media is so addictive? That we feel like we get endorphins and we get excited when we have more followers and more friends and the truth is we really don't know those people and those people really don't care about us. But deep down inside, we want to what? Belong. It's important to have a fellowship of believers. It's important to come to church. It's important to have church membership. Uh, I, I know we try to talk about religion over relationship, but the truth of the matter is that most people who talk about religion over relationship, a lot of times they're out of balance. And what they're doing is saying, I just want to feel a God that I don't want to take the time to know. There is balance. We want to have a relationship with God, but we also want to study the scriptures and be able to know and relate more to the God that we know. How will I know that God if I don't study his what? Word. And Jesus is the word. And guess what? If I don't like the word, I don't like him. True. So it's important for us to study the scriptures, not just so we can have a bunch of puffed up knowledge, but so that we can strengthen our relationship. If you want to build a relationship with somebody, you begin to talk to them. You find out what's going on in their mind so you can find ways that you relate to them. How do we relate to God? We relate to him through his word. And in through his word and through the fellowship of believers, we find what? Belonging. To know that you do belong to a place. You are not by yourself. Well, I'm widowed or I'm single and I don't have a lot of family. You have a church family and that church family, if you have them, that's enough. Guess why? Because if we're a true church, that when one falls, we all fall. When one gets up, we all get up. And then we're connected. Where I came from, they used to pray a prayer. And the deacons would always pray a prayer. And they said, Lord, bind us so close that one can't fall without the other. And as I get older, I realize what they were saying. They were saying, give us such a corner of fellowship that when one hurts, we all hurt. The Bible says this, weep with those who what? Weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. Church membership is important. If you're watching me online, I'm thankful that you're watching me online. You may not be close to Detroit, but if you're in the Detroit area or happen to be coming across YouTube, I'm letting you know this is a place where you belong and you need a place to be able to connect with the fellowship of believers in Christ Jesus so that when you are weak, you can be strengthened by other people. I would not be where I am if I didn't have a network of people around me to strengthen me when I was weak. We used to pray that prayer uh, when I, was, I grew up in the Baptist church and said, Lord, strengthen us where we're weak and build us up where we're torn down. And many times we don't realize that God uses people to do that. He uses people to give us words of encouragement. And then when we've been told negative things about the world, world by the world, brother, to have those things taken out of our mindset and to say you can. We discount now in the digital age the fellowship of physical connection and being around people. Church is still relevant. Church fellowship is still important, and it's important that we know that we belong. Man, Go to the next. God. <laughs> Go to the next one. Everybody say that with me. I am included. included. Say that again. I am included 
Is this encouraging to anybody tonight? Amen. Praise it says, God. verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13, and you were also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth and the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him and sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and to the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What is a seal? In order to know what he means by that, in those days when you would send information, somebody would take wax and they would melt it and they would put a seal on it and then they would take a ring and a signet and they would put that ring in it. And by putting that ring in it, it said that this, whatever's inside this letter belongs to me. I said it. I approved it, and when you read it, you're reading my words. So when he says this, this is an amazing thing. If you're saved, this is such good news. He says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. The gospel, or the good news, or in the Greek, the euangelion of your salvation. Good news. That sounds, uh, that sounds just so positive to us today, but to other people in that culture, to talk about the good news would have seemed kind of foreign. To hear somebody use Jesus and cross and death and blood in the word euangelion, which means good news in the same word, that doesn't sound like good news, but it is good news because because of that cross, guess what? I have redemption and I am included. How? Did, what did I do when I heard the salvation. See how this lines up with Romans 10 and 9. It says, number one, you heard the word of truth. That is the gospel of your salvation. That's right in line with one, Romans 1 and 16. For I am not ashamed of the what? Gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God, what? For the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Then it says, having believed, you were marked with him and sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise. So our possession of the Holy Spirit is a seal on us saying that we belong to God and it is a down payment on the things that are to come. How do I know it's a down payment on those things to come? Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, talking about that same similar subject, he says what? No eye has what? Seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of men, or no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love them. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I go to prepare a place for you. I wouldn't have told you that if it wasn't really true. And so what he's saying is, when I go up, he said, it's, it's good for you that I leave. He was telling his disciples, why? Yes, yes. Because if I don't leave, the comforter cannot come. And when the comforter comes, he's not just for speaking in tongues. What the comforter is for, he's a sign of the promise that God has for us so that the Holy Spirit lives in us is a seal to let us know that better days are what? Ahead. You're sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption, until God comes back and cracks the sky, and that he completely fulfills your redemption. Right now, we're freed from sin, but we're still subject to death mm -hmm. in this body. Right. We still die. 
We still have sickness. We still ache. We still hurt. I'm starting to learn for some reason. I, I do certain things. and used, It used to be a few years ago, my body only hurt when I did things to it. Now I'm finding out this weird thing that even with me working out, some things just hurt for no reason at all. It's like, why is my foot hurting? I'm not even standing up. Where did this pain come from? And, and what it's letting you know is you can't stay here. So just like Jesus healed Lazarus, but Lazarus died, there's a difference between a regeneration and a resurrection. And so when we re when we are resurrected and have a resurrected body, we have a glorious hope. And the Holy Spirit is our promise that that's going to happen, that better days are ahead. There should be nobody more cheerful than the Christian. You know why? Oh, yeah, amen. Would it hurt me? If you told me that my house was about to go and my house was going to burn down and all these other things and, and, and that I was losing this and my bank account was empty, but I knew I had a lottery ticket for a million dollars that, that, that just struck in my pocket, would it really hurt me that you was, that your house is burning? So, <laughs> <laughs> your friends said they don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't care. <laughs> you just lost your dog. That's okay. Why? Because you realize that what I possess and you can't see is greater than what I'm actually going to lose. How do I put that in perspective? That when things in the world don't tend to always go our way, and they won't, because those that live godly must what? Suffer persecution. When we have that person that's not in office or, or in office, or we have our life not going the way we want, we think this is happening because of this, and we turn on the news. Please don't watch the news. The news is so negative. I, I try to stay away from the news. That's how I, I can't survive watching the news. I don't know about you. You can do it if you want to, but if you ask me what's going on, you can call me uninformed. I try to keep a little informed information in my life, but I try to limit the amount because there's so much negativity and toxicity in the world. But even with that, we as Christians shouldn't even care. The world is going to end. A Democrat's in office. Don't care. <laughs> the world's going to end. A Republican's in office. Could care less. <clears throat> Why? Because all this is temporal. And I've got a million dollar lottery ticket on the inside. Because the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of me. I can't hold on to this world anyway. So why would I opine all the time and give my opinion and gripe and complain about something that I couldn't hold on to in the first place? I can't remember if it's John Wesley, but there was a theologian, and one day they came to him, and they told him, your house is on fire. And he never moved. And they said, didn't you hear me? Your house is on fire. And, and uh, he, he didn't even respond. They said, did not you hear us? It may have been another theologian, but the story I remember is your house on your house is on fire? He looked at him. He said, "It's not my house. <laughs> I don't own it." Amen. What was he saying? He figured out the same thing that Job had figured out. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So I know that better things are ahead. So if you're walking around and you're moping and you're complaining about life and you're watching whatever your preferred channel of news is and it's making you all agitated uh, and mad at somebody that you've never seen, I ask you a question. Who do you think you are? Good question. God is down for you. Why are you walking around negative? Because your person ain't the first thing in the office. your person or is in the office but not doing what you want to do. Who do you think you are? You're required to be thankful all the time. 
How do you know that? Because Jesus told me to. In the word, he told Paul, in everything, what? Give thanks. For it is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. That's what I want you to do. When my family is, is, is falling apart, that's fine. I understand your concern, but cast your cares on me. You can't control it. In everything, give thanks, because there's always a sentence that we should put at the end of that. It could be worse. And we have more on the other side. It's natural in the human emotion to be sad about some of the things that are going on in our life. Don't feel bad if you're concerned about some of the things that you're, you're, you're going through in life. That's a natural human emotion. But don't be anxious for them. Don't let those things completely destroy you and override you when you can't sleep and you can't think and you can't move and you're paralyzed by fear. Wonder what somebody else is going to do. I wonder if they're going to speak to me again. I wonder if they're not. I wonder if they're going to do this or not. I wonder if they ought to get me or they not. Stop worrying about that. Guess what? What say we then? Christ before us, who can be against us? And even if they never are for us, at the end there are better days ahead because Christ has filled us with the Holy Spirit and let it flow is there. So at the end, we win. I want you. Is this helping anybody? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm included. Go to the next I am. Everybody say that with me. I can, I can see, see clearly. clearly now. After all that, I hope you can see clear. <laughs> I hope the rain is gone. <laughs> For this reason, verse 15, ever since I heard about your faith, hmm, I'm going to start at verse 15. Because there's two in there. One is I'm getting closer, and two I can see clearly now. For this reason, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, Paul's thanksgiving and prayer, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I am asking, listen to the beautiful thing he's asking for in this prayer. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for cars or clothes for them. He didn't ask for a house on the hill. Look what he asked for them. And this is what we should be asking for people. I keep asking that God, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may what? Know him better. Amen. Thank you, Lord. That's the most important thing. That's somebody who's really caring about your well-being. We would think that somebody that prayed, prayed that we got a $20 raise or, or we got a nice bonus or this would be that. But he says, no, nah, that stuff goes away. I give you something. I pray that you know him better through his wisdom and revelation that when you read his word, he'll open it up and reveal it to you and let it know how it fits through his Holy Spirit concerning your situation. This is the living, moving, breathing word of God. And the Bible says sometimes people can't understand it because it's spiritually discerned. And guess what? He says sometimes it's because the God of this world has what? Blinded their eyes. They cannot see what's in this world, uh, what's in this word. And we see Jesus do it all the time. Jesus was talking parables. And he said, because so they'll be ever listening, but never hearing, ever seeing, but not really realizing what's going on. That only those that were called to do it and only those that had a heart 
to really receive what Jesus wanted will be able to understand what he's saying. You're not going to get closer to God by just reading some scripture and memorizing it. I'm sorry. That's not going to work. You'll have a bunch of head knowledge, but the letter kills it. It's only the Spirit that gives life, and you have to allow the Holy Spirit through prayer to help you to be able to read what you, understand what you read. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I, I, I hear this Ethiopian eunuch from Africa. He's sitting on the side of the road, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he's reading this, and he's, I believe he's the, the dignitary to Queen Candace, Queen of Ethiopia, Africa. He's African. And, and he sees this man come up. His name is Stephen. And he says, do you understand what you read? And he says, how can I understand <laughs> unless somebody shows me? And what does that say? That I could be reading information and still not be digesting it properly. That's why the Bible says a work of not being ashamed being able to rightly divide the word of truth. Because you can't wrongly divide the word of truth. Well, how do we know how the word is supposed to go? Because we have the what? Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And one of the words for the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. It goes alongside of us. It helps us and it teaches us and gives us inspiration so that we will know that the, what the word says. And it also helps us to bear witness when we hear the word that it bears witness in our heart that what's being said is true. It was Philip, by the way. Hallelujah. It is Philip. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Bob. I'm over 40 now. This is beautiful. It that is. you may it know him better. He and here's the thing. He's not selfish. He's praying the same thing that he wants himself. Why? Because he said in his, his letters, Oh, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. I don't want your salvation to be good. You'll know a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're not looking just for the good. We're not looking just for affirmation when everybody shows up on Sunday morning. But if there's five people in here, we still want to know him and we're happy for the five that came or the 20, the 100, or the 200. Why? Because the goal is to know him. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That you really know what you have. Do you know what you have as a believer? Do you really know who you are? Child of God, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. We see that word, a phrase again, far above all rule and authority. Think about that. So why are you worried about political parties and politics and all this other hoopla? He's seated above all authority. He's in charge. They can't do anything unless he allows them. I serve a God who stood and looked one of the most powerful men on earth in the face, serving only to Caesar, and, and a governor of, of Judea. And he said, don't you know I have the power to kill you or the power to let you go? And he looked at him in his face and said, you don't have any power. The only power you have is that that my father has already given you. You know what? That although all we're subject to authority, and Romans 13 tells us that we should obey governing authority, we should know that all authority is still a subject to the authority of Christ. The Bible says that the kingdoms of this world shall be the kingdoms.
and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be encouraged because everything is subject to the creator, the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of our Lord. Amen. And of our Christ. For years, we've heard people talk about nuclear proliferation, trying to keep people from getting the ability to split the atom mix it with plutonium and make an atomic bomb that can cause massive destruction. We've had people that have been so, so dumbfounded by the destruction that they've caused, like Alfred Nobel, that they made the Nobel Peace Prize just to subvert the things that they did, uh, and people who created the hydrogen bomb. And people, whole nations are always fighting. That's all you see on the news. I wonder if they're going to get a nuclear weapon. They're worried about power that can destroy the earth. And people are all up in a frenzy. And Christians are sitting here not knowing that we have a power that's so great that it didn't just destroy, it can't just destroy the earth, but it speaks and says, let there be. And everything has to come into agreement and into alignment that God is so powerful that everything has to obey his will and his word. He is so bright that, guess what? Even when Moses wanted to see him, he said, I can only let you see my back. And just the power of his back made Moses' face shine. We serve an all-powerful God. All authority is subject to him. We have victory through our Lord. Let thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And as we clear up, because we're going on to chapter 2, my time is spent. <laughs> Far above all rule and authority, verse 21, power and dominion and every title that can be given. We often say, I'm going to vote for this person. He's going to be the most powerful person in the world. No, he won't. <laughs> he won't. Because there's a king that sits above and every king has to bow to him. Listen to this. And God, far above all rule, I want to read verse 21 again because that's just good. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. I don't care what country you come from, it's not more powerful than the kingdom of God. Not only in the present age, but in the age to come. Oh, Jesus. Keep going. Last one, I'm running out of time. And God placed all things. Everybody read this with me. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Everything is under his feet. If something's under your feet, that means it's not equal to you, it's not beside you, it's not above you, which means that if you're a church and you decided that you're not going to follow the word of God and you're going to say that whatever the culture says is okay, is okay, that you are not following Christ and he's going to take your lampstand. As a matter of fact, you're decommissioned. You know why? Because everything is under his feet and God doesn't consult you for what he says is and is not acceptable. It is our job to let him tell us what is and is not acceptable and to follow those things because we are not over him. He is over us and we are subject to him. Every power and every authority. Everything. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. In the earth, under the earth, and over the earth. And this is the last thing I want you to know. Close up that last thing. Let's say it together. 
I'm on I am on a winning team. If you belong to Christ, it doesn't matter how many tough days ahead you have. It doesn't have how matter how many ups or downs or times you have to cry. I will not be irrational or illogical and tell you that if you receive Christ, that you will never cry again, that you will never have pain, or that everything will go your way. But one of my favorite verses I realized in the book of Revelation, it says, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's not a tear in this world that God can't wipe away. So as you're listening tonight in this room, or if you're listening by social media, if you're dealing with depression, I keep hearing that, if you're dealing with depression, depression is simply because you're allowing the enemy, and sometimes funnel, but many times it's oftentimes psychologically because you are allowing negativity in the world standard and even the sinful nature of yourself to tell you who you are. And you're sitting there down and I ask yourself, who do you think you are? If Christ be for you, who can be against you? We serve a father that didn't come to destroy us. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. He came to bring us back to himself. If we go into destruction, it's not because he wants it. The Bible says that hell was made for the devil and his angels. It was never made for us. But because of the wickedness of man, hell expands himself. In other words, he loves us so much that if we decide to choose not to be near him, he'll grant the request as much as it hurts. God never sends anybody to hell. We just choose to simply go where he is. Right. We simply choose to reject him. So if you're listening by the sound of my voice today or years down the line, you're not listening by accident. If you don't know him, today you can. You can be on the winning team. And as I pray this prayer, I pray that the eyes of your understanding be open and that you be enlightened and that you can know him in a closer and a deeper way each every single day. For the people in this room, I pray that you get to know him in a closer and a deeper way each and every single day. Oh, I want to see him. I can hear the old deacons at Harvey Chapel Baptist Church saying, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares are past. Home and last. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this study that we're doing in the book of Ephesians. And I pray that that question will ring in the minds of all that hear this broadcast. That they stop and really reflect on who they are in you. Not because of our goodness. Not because of anything we've done. But because of your love has chosen. And I pray if there is somebody listening that hasn't received you, that they receive you that they be saved and they reach out. And let us know that they're saved. And we'll get you prayed. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. If you made the choice to follow Christ today and you're on this line, if you'll text the word LIFE365 uh, to the number 77411. LIFE365-77411. We want to connect with you and know that you're safe uh, and celebrate with you because now you're on the winning team. Let us 
pray I'm going to bless you. I pray now that you are blessed in the city, blessed in the field when you come and when you go. And everywhere the soul of your foot shall try shall be blessed. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise. Praise God. Amen.